passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. It is time for Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock and Wei Ting. Welcome on this Wednesday night, Thursday morning. If you're listening to us any later, then go to hell. Hi, Wei. Go to hell. That's oh, not come a on. Nice this is this is a this is a timely podcast. We people people have busy lives. You know no, they might they might listen no. to this on a Friday or the, or a weekend. I don't Friday, I'll give Saturday. You, you don't shouldn't care. condemn you don't them care. to damnation just because they have uh, something else to do on a Wednesday night. Well, you know what? Um, maybe that's a little harsh, but maybe that's a little dose of reality. Wow. Okay. How are you doing? Pretty good, man. Yeah, pretty good. You know, Wednesdays, I'm I'm usually in a pretty good mood after these shows. I mean, Monday, I, I apologize uh, for my performance on Monday's Rewind to Raw. I was I did not have much to give, um, no matter how many quiz bowls, um, you know, I've, I I was able to watch. But on Wednesdays, I, I usually have pretty good energy after these shows. Yeah, yeah. Monday's show was a bit of a downer, but um, you know, Wednesdays a uh, Wednesdays your upper, so it all evens out in the end. All comes 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 out. Yeah, so, peaks and valleys. That's, that's it. That's is. it. Life is all about ups and downs. But here we go uh, to chat about uh, dynamite. Uh, I do want to make mention we have, we have two obits up on the site today, uh, unfortunately, but nevertheless, uh, the passings of a uh, Candy Divine. Uh, that news coming out early Wednesday morning, and uh, Super Muñeco, who was a very very popular luchador, especially among children. He was. Uh, you know, his character was largely that of a clown. It was very much targeted towards, uh, cho- uh, like, as a, as a children's act, but a super, super popular luchador who had been experiencing uh, health problems of late. Uh, was only 59 years of age, but, I mean, was someone who put his mask on the line over 100 times. Uh, so we have a, a brief bio there up on his career on the site. And the rest of the news items we will get to on Thursday, including the NXT 2.0 numbers, who uh, got... Uh, got slammed by the move to sci-fi and the Olympics. We will go into more of that in detail on Tuesday. Uh, but we have no shortage of news to discuss uh, from Dynamite tonight. Um, Wait, do you want to just go in uh, sequential order here, or do you want to kind of talk about the uh, the mainline items off the top? Hmm, interesting. Okay. Um, I think we talk about the items off the top. Well, the big arrivals were Keith Lee making his debut in the company and getting the, uh, the prestigious Keith Lee is all elite graphic and his own shirt up on pro wrestling tees were all all set to go and an appearance by jay white who took the forbidden key 
put it into the forbidden keyhole, changed the lock, and uh, in he walked. And uh, immediately um, uh, the sirens went off. There was a breaking and entering alarm. He went into the forbidden door and appeared and also showing off a new shirt as well. That's, that's what you always bring whenever you're uh, breaking and entering. You have a shirt ready to go. Got to have your merch ready. So Jay White and Keith Lee appeared on a, a pretty packed edition of, of Dynamite. But uh, those were our, our two appearances on tonight's show. You know, going into this, um, I think there was it was certainly the most hyped up thing about this show. It was a show that didn't have a whole lot announced for an edition of Dynamite that usually has every man- probably match probably the least way like of, re- yeah. of like any Dynamites I can remember. I cannot remember an afternoon where so little had been announced. Uh, they mm-hmm. had a few more announcements in the hour leading up to the show, um, but j- just the idea way of. CM Punk and John Moxley teaming up and mm-hmm. very unlike AEW to do sort of your old kind of raw, do the segment off the top to set up a match for later. But also that's a match you can't really announce without some kind of storyline explanation as to why Punk would team with him. I mean, they could have they could do whatever they want. You know, they could have shot something in the afternoon and, and played it later if they felt like promoting that match ahead of time. And And it was certainly an interesting decision. The fact that Punk and Moxley were teaming together in and of itself, I think, is uh, something that is very special. We've never seen it before. Two of the company's top stars team up against FTR. That in itself, I think, was worthy of a main event attraction if they wanted to pr- promote it that way. But they they chose to save it. And I think there is definitely something to be said about keeping your show spontaneous and you know giving these surprises for the people who actually decide to tune in once in a while. You know, it, it, again, it's it's peculiar and unusual for them to do something like this, especially when they're, I think, so um, focused on ratings, perhaps right right now. But I think once in a while, it's 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 a great way to get your audience to tune in live because you never really know what to expect. But you know, the hook for the show absolutely was the the forbidden door arrival, and you know, uh, the combination of both Jay White and Keith Lee. Do you think this this was enough to satisfy uh, an audience that had very high expectations? I would say going in. I guess I, I'm sure you're you're gonna have some who were just thinking for like you have to measure your expectations. Shane well, that's if you're thinking like that, then you're you're setting yourself up for just uh, an impossible uh, delivery. Um, I I thought Keith Lee came off so tremendously well. I don't know how you could have mm. been disappointed with the way he came out. This audience this audience was fantastic tonight from the second the show went live, and they uh, more than made that introduction feel that much bigger for Keith Lee. Uh, I thought Isaiah Cassidy was awesome in that match. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how you could have been disappointed with uh, Keith Lee and just coming in and feeling like such a big deal right off of the, right out of the gate. Jay White. I mean, that's it's going to depend. I, I personally am like intrigued to see more of Jay White. I think he's going to be more of a polarizing figure for some. Um, well, hold on a second. Then, do we know the extent of, of what the Jay White interaction is? Is it is it a one off? Is, is you know what is his contractual status with um, New Japan Pro Wrestling right now? I mean, what we know is that, like, he's going to be on, like, that Impact show next weekend in New Orleans. He's mm-hmm. going to be on that Windy City Riot for um, uh, the one in Chicago that New Japan Strong is doing. So it's it's not like he's he doesn't have future dates. Um, but, I mean, the way this was really set up was the idea of someone was coming through the forbidden door and shutting it behind them. So this is too deep of like cryptic language for me to understand. Was was that comment in reference to Jay White or was it in reference to Keith Lee? Well, the forbidden door comment was specific for Jay White. That's how they introduced him tonight. Okay, but but last week Tony Khan's tweet about 
the wrestler being involved in the um, what is it uh, the revolution match against Isaiah Cassidy was also the person uh, attributed to a forbidden door. So what's forbidden about a free agent coming to this company? I mean, well, that is the question to me. Like, um, is 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 Keith Lee exactly shutting any sort of forbidden doors when I mean he was already forbidden from entering the other door? <laughs> yeah, he was cast out of the other other door. I don't know. Like, we're 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 almost talking semantics here, but I mean, you are going to get this level of criticism when you throw out those terms, you know, around here and there. Uh, but I I agree with you. You know, as as I think we we discussed earlier this afternoon in the post news update. I mean, Keith Lee was probably the the biggest um uh candidate to make an appearance and i think he's at the level of a star power and and you know he an immediate main eventer heading into aew that i don't think anybody can really be dissatisfied you know especially seeing that match um i i certainly wasn't and then throwing in jay jay white on top of it i almost felt like it was a bit of a bonus and you got like dude you got like two four star ma- four plus star matches mm-hmm. on this show in the, in the form of the, the tag and the Texas death match. So mm-hmm. I, I thought this was a really a great episode of dynamite. So I always am excited when we start off the show with, with that kind of a praise uh, for what uh, the response will be like. Yeah. Cause you're so, why are you so positive? Why do you have to be so positive all the time? Well, let's get into the show from the uh, historic boardwalk hallway, the site of WrestleMania four and five. Back in uh, 1988, 1989, I can guarantee you this this Dynamite uh, was better than either of those shows. With all due respect to uh, the nostalgia of Hogan and Savage, which was a very very nice match for its time. But as a show, as an entire show, I think this Dynamite was, was clearly ahead of those two WrestleManias. The wrestling was a bit better on this one, sure. This crowd was amazing, right off the top. Very, very hot crowd. And Wardlow is out first, and he's got these cardboard cutouts of MJF that he places in the ring, and he looks like he is completely over this guy and just shakes his head looking at these these goofy cardboard cutouts and passes a message along to Justin Roberts, who proceeds to introduce FTR with Tully Blanchard, who come out with champagne. Wheeler and Dax are walking arm in arm as Cash is just flicking his mullet. Then Sean Spears is introduced next, and he comes out, and it leads to this lengthy introduction that Justin Roberts is forced to read for MJF, hailing from the most magical place in the world, a Plainview, Long Island, that this crowd was just ready to declare war on. He is also the sprawl god who beat CM Punk twice in the dumpster fire that is Chicago. And that was the big thing that MJF was pushing, that he didn't just beat Punk in Chicago, he beat him twice in Chicago. And it leads to MJF's introduction as he is carried out like your old, like, like uh, macho king, Randy Savage, your like old school king of the ring. He is carried out on top of this riser and is brought to the ring. And though he's accompanied by two women, one of whom kisses him on the cheek and then the other who just full on like puts her, her tongue down his throat on this apron for a lengthy period of time before he enters the ring and this crowd is ready to murder this man. It was just deafening with booze. It was, I mean, it was hilarious. And I think every cliche you might expect of somebody who's completely um, full of himself. um, I think you, you, they tried to cram into this. And the pinnacle then did the goofiest group hug. Yeah. They all just like did this little stomp in anticipation before putting their arms around each other. Like just the most hateable, hateable group. Totally. And, and, but worth noting that Wardlow did not join in. 
No, no. Wardlow, they did, Wardlow was very good with, with like the facial reactions and just subtly, yeah, maybe even not so subtly, but the camera catching like his just complete it, it just uh, disgust at all of this and just being so uh, apart away from this group. You know, so so this is different from what I I thought after last week where I thought Wardlow was very much a willing participant in in screwing CM Punk. At least that to me was the indication as he handed MJF the ring in secret. And this week they're play they're kind of dialing it back and, and telling us that, hey, he was still unwilling and he still hates these guys. Maybe he did it because he felt like he had to do a job, but he's still very much playing that tweener role. MJF says he is the best wrestler on the planet, better than Omega, Danielson, Adam Cole, and Hangman Page, and better than the best in the world. And he beat him twice in Chicago. And what he whispered to Punk after the match uh, that many people caught, he leaned over to Punk and told him, you suck. <laughs> and he would not have beaten Punk without the help of one great man, Sean Spears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a great delivery to this. And you knew it was coming. Totally. I-, I love the fact that he took what really looked like an incredibly heartwarming moment caught on TV uh, something completely out of character for MJF, and he basically kayfabed it, saying, "I was telling him he sucked," which is uh, a wonderful way of, I think, you know, I guess fixing that if if you want to call it a mistake. I mean, which it wasn't. It was a wonderful, authentic moment that I think we can, at least in story, uh, understand why somebody like MJF would say, "I didn't say anything nice to him." Are you crazy? Spears reveals a new shirt for MJF. Everyone got new shirts on this show. Better than the best in the world. And MJF puts himself over. He's better than Brett in Canada, Piper in Portland, and now Punk in Chicago. And now it is time for me to become the AEW champion. And everybody boos. Punk comes out, and he calls the win in Chicago as suspect as MJF's spray tan. And he's brought some friends as backup as Darby Allen and Sting walk out with their bats, and Punk is demanding a rematch, or else they'll be beaten up with the bats. But I don't want a rematch with you, MJF. I want a rematch with the guy that really beat me in Chicago, Wardlow. And he challenges Wardlow to have some balls and leave the pinnacle. But MJF says, I beat you all by myself. Dax, uh, Dax gets involved, stating he wants a rematch with Punk, mentioning the, the Greensboro six-man that they did back in December. MJF will not have any kind of rematch in this cesspool, but he lays out the challenge that if Punk can find a partner that is not Sting or Darby Allen and beat FTR, he can have his rematch. So it is left with the idea that Punk has no friends beyond Sting and Darby, and that is our setup for later in the show, which the partner would be revealed to be John Moxley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a very good, very heated segment with some great reactions from this crowd, adding continued life to this super hot feud despite the finish last week. Very good promo from NJF with much of that focus being put on continuing this Wardlow ambiguity, which, you know, the crowd is was more than happy to forget that he was a willing participant in handing the ring to to, to MJF and, and we're happy to cheer him again. Uh, but, you know, and then a very fi- a good, fired up, angry baby face and CM Punk desperately seeking revenge here. So, you know, he was out here asking for a rematch for Wardlow and MJF basically kind of took it and spun it and said, no, you don't want a rematch with Wardlow. You you want a rematch with me, even though I, I'm saying you can't have it. 
you ultimately won't really want it for me. So here's an obstacle for you to get this rematch that you you wanted. Um, is that how you took it? Yes. Yes. And I think that that's probably what we're seeing at the pay-per-view. Like I, I came out of tonight as Paige Cole and Punk MJF for the pay-per-view. That would be my sense of where the direction is. And what do you what do you think? Do you think we'll get Punk versus Wardlow? I guess you have to do it. I'm not in a big rush to do that match, though, because I wouldn't want to beat either at, at the moment. But I, I just thought this segment as a whole did a ton for Wardlow. Like he is like the the long term prospect and focus of of all of this. Like MJF is obviously going to be in a in a major role for years and years to come. But I, I think mm-hmm. Wardlow um, has benefited greatly from this. Um, and I guess you just have to find your timing of when it's right to do the Punk Wardlow match. Um, because it's obviously been dangled here. I, I just don't like the idea of doing like him as a setup for the pay-per-view in the next couple of weeks. And and you beat Wardlow again if you don't have to do it at this exact like time frame. Yeah, agreed. The next time those two meet, I think Wardlow would actually have to win. But I, I would have, I think, at least liked to have heard maybe a bit from Wardlow, you know, to talk about exactly what happened last week. Um, were you forced to, to walk out there? Why did it have to be you? Were you remorseful about it? I mean, clearly looking at him, he he doesn't like these guys. But is this an act? I don't know. Yes, this is a this is an incredible uh, tribute to Cinderella. The story. How so? What do you mean? With Wardlow, you've got you've got right. like the uh, the evil MJF and then the wicked stepsisters of the FTR and Sean okay. Spears. Oh, uh, okay, and. So- and so at the stroke it, of midnight, he becomes a skinny man. It means um, CM Punk is going to have a glass slipper at the end of all of this that will fit on Wardlow's foot. Okay. I'd like that, to, is where, that is where this will conclude. Way be, be a pretty big sneaker. In the back, we get a first time meeting between Andrade with Sting and Darby Allen. Uh, so Andrade looks at Sting. Finally, I find your boss. I know that this kid works for you sting Mm. says he is not a kid and you can speak to him like a man darby says i have bigger things to do than work for you like becoming tnt champion andrade just totally dismisses this you will work for me (laughs) and we have something in common you want the tnt title while i am the next tnt champion i thought this was great Andrade, in every single one of these appearances as part of this Darby Allen little kid story, I think he comes across so well. So cocky and so obviously mocking of this little Darby Allen. And what I especially loved about this at the very end was the confidence in which he stated that he intends to be the next TNT champion. The confidence in which he said that line, to me, already made him the champion in my eyes. You know, forget the match with Sammy. I think he already won it with this promo. But it was great. I especially love the idea that we have two people who currently aren't the champions talking about wanting the championship and having to go through each other or at least, you know, feuding with each other verbally in order to even get that shot. It puts some real story and some real character and motivation behind the TNT championship division. And uh, I'm actually more excited for either of these two to be champion than I might be for Sammy Guevara. But of course, the match, I think, will be great with any of the three. Yeah, and we're at the point now, like the pay-per-view is March 6th, it's not that far away, that you're starting to see a lot of these stories kind of get a bit tighter, and you're seeing the direction. Um, Do you see them, like, running further with with Darby and Andrade, or is this a match you do on TV to set up Guevara's challenger? 
I get the sense that whenever these two fight, it will be for the, the championship, perhaps. Um, I mean, we have already kind of teased, though, Darby versus Sammy, so maybe they'll they'll be getting to that one first. Or maybe we'll get a three-way. I mean, you know, AEW hasn't done too many too many of those, but in a situation like this, I could I could see them justifying it in terms of story. In in either case, this to me feels like it's the hotter program um, between these two than anything involving Sammy Guevara. Wardlow had to race to the back, get into his gear, and come out for his match with the blade. And uh, the blade uh, chop blocks the knee from behind, so Wardlow has to sell at the beginning and. Man, this crowd just starts chanting Wardlow in the style of Goldberg here mm-hmm. and really added to just the, the whole feel of this match. Uh, they go through a picture-in-picture picture here where I don't think countouts exist when it's picture-in-picture. Picture. That is uh, that is my conclusion here as they spend about 90% of the picture-in-picture picture on the on the floor. There's a delayed vertical by Wardlow. Then Blade connects with a knee strike, runs into the corner, is caught with a powerbomb. The audience chants for more, and the symphony of powerbombs continue with Blade taking three more, and Wardlow wins in six minutes and 15 seconds, and Sean Spears gets into the ring, attacks with the chair, and Wardlow is just sick of this guy. Yeah, yep. So, you know, pretty much back to where we were before the punk match with Wardlow here, getting the crowd's favor. Um, Spears, you know, killing the crowd by hitting people with the chair and us left wanting Wardlow to leave the pinnacle. Uh, we had this uh, very elaborate uh, produced video of a mysterious figure going into a graveyard. And it is Alex Abrahantis uh, narrating this, that when Malachi Black spit the black mist into the eyes of Penta, he spit into the soul of Pentagon. And now he must face the consequences. And there's a video of the the mysterious gravedigger uh, in the graveyard uncovering a mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pentagon bringing back a dark persona here. Um, I I thought this was incredibly cool. I think it's exactly what I was hoping for, and seemingly what the entire crowd last week was hoping for. It, it, you know, watching that tag team match, it was Penta that was the, the overwhelmingly crowd favorite. And the only thing that was really missing was maybe some storyline element that really kind of injected him into this pack, Mal- Malachi Black thing. And, and the mist was clearly a, a, a way to get to that direction because for the first time, I think in a long while, we're actually getting some personality and some storyline and some pre-produced elements attached to Penta, which is a really great follow up, I think, to the reaction he had last week. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe he's out, he has all these backup masks in case this tournament doesn't go his way uh, for Triple Mania. Does he have a mask for every mood? Maybe. Yeah, that's like a it. mood ring, but but instead mood mask. He's got the happy mask, and exactly, you got to beat him in all of his different emotions. Interesting. Okay, you beat me on my happy day, but now I'm angry. Hmm. Hmm. Time for the Inner Circle team meeting. Jericho comes out with Guevara and Hager, but no Santana and Ortiz. Instead, um, they come out to their own music and all five are in the ring. The first time they have all been together in quite some time. And Jericho says he was embarrassed when they faced 2.0 several weeks ago when he was not tagged in. (laughs) And most of all, you cheated the fans who paid for their tickets to see Chris Jericho. (laughs) It was like the most obnoxious line that Chris Jericho used on these guys. And then Santana takes over and he says enough with this corny shit. At the end of the day, the only person Chris Jericho cares about is Chris Jericho. We have had to shift focus for the betterment of you 
any time that we were getting ahead. Any progress we would make, it got shut down because we'd have to come to your rescue. And they have come here to say that the days of playing second fiddle are over. And it's you that stood in our way and didn't have a, and didn't have a bigger spotlight. And if it wasn't for Ortiz, I would have dropped your ass a long time ago. And Jericho had been trying to interrupt. Santana shut him down each time. And as he ends on this line, he goes, now you may speak. Dude, Santana was fantastic. I thought this was the best. Like, this guy's always been a very good promo, but I thought this was the best promo since he got blinded uh, when, he, mm. when he had the eye. Um, and yeah. that's going back over two years ago. This guy felt like, like a top main event level promo here. He has sounded that way, I think, for quite a while. Anytime he's given the ball, he's completely delivered. Uh, so really, the only thing I think that's been missing with him him and, and Ortiz is, is is a juicy storyline for them to sink their teeth into and, and the opportunity to give to cut a promo like this. And he had that here. And man, like he's he's got leading man written all over him for the future. Um, so he was great. And even Ortiz, I thought sounded really good too. You know, somebody who did Ortiz, Ortiz is looking like in really good shape. Like he's gotten Mm. really cut of late uh, on, on top of it. So Jericho gets his rebuttal, comparing him to Eddie Guerrero, someone who would have a, a short temper and blame people, even his closest friends. He says that Eddie Kingston planted this in your head. And what has he done for you in AEW? He has no stroke here. I'm the influencer. And since October 2nd, 2019, you have headlined pay-per-views, dynamites, rampages, and had higher payoffs and made more money here than you ever did before. And you had the chance to be tag champions. On February 17th last year, you lost to the Young Bucks. And I had nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. And... I brought you into this group. I can kick you out of it. Maybe we invited the wrong members of LAX to join us. Hey, Jake, do you still have Homicide and Hernandez's numbers? And Santana will not stand for that comparison. And he goes after Jericho. And Guevara is the one to play Peacemaker here. And Jericho, in his moment of rage, just tells Guevara to shut up. Guevara explains that he loves everyone here. His goal, though, is to be the greatest champion ever and takes off his cut and says, I quit this group once. I'll quit again if you guys don't figure this shit out. And that was uh, the end of Guevara from this part of the segment. And uh, before we uh, finish with with Ortiz's part here, um, Jericho's rebuttal here and Guevara's part way. You know, I thought overall the segment was really fantastic. You know, if your goal is to put the spotlight on Ortiz and Santa, Santana and really by extension reignite interest in, in, I would say, a pretty dormant inner circle at this point, I thought this was very successful. You know, inner stable conflict is is something we see quite often, but um, to varying degrees of success. And it's not like even, even within the inner circle, I feel like we've seen them tease breakups before. Um, this time, though, I think we can buy that it, it could potentially be real. Because, you know, everybody has kind of gone off and done their own thing for for quite a bit now. Uh, certainly Santana and Ortiz made a very great case for wanting to separate and, you know, going off and doing their own thing. So it, this this could actually be a breakup. And either way, I, 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 I was I was pretty into at least this this little promo segment getting into the story. The logic is easy to understand. It's believable because I think many fans would agree that Santana and Ortiz should have been AEW champions by now, two years into the company. 
they they have been kind of neglected in development and they're using whatever sentiment that actually exists there to tell a great story that'll actually get them there to that place. Yeah, and then it ended with Ortiz saying that Jericho's facts are twisted. You could not be more wrong about Eddie Kingston. He is their brother in arms and makes the challenge to Jericho and Hager for next week to settle this shit once and for all. And Jericho says, you're going to get a fight. And as Jericho's responding, Santana turns and just gives this look into the camera. Like, who the fuck is this guy? And this shot of Santana was just awesome the way he just looks into the camera dude it was like zach morris hitting Mm -hmm. like freeze it was amazing um this is a great segment i enjoyed this um some great promos here uh but santana took the cake for me i i'm very high on this guy i just think he's he's a great talker and just showed so much presence but this was this was really great all around um even jake hager he he stood there and looked like the enforcer just totally (laughs) no words from him he just stood there you know, it totally takes a, a a general like like Chris Jericho to to really be at the center of this all and, and put it all together. And I felt like he was almost like uh, doing too much to kind of um, be get himself booed. Like it, it almost felt a little inconsistent with him, like trying to put over like him being such a big influencer and all that stuff. But I, I think you have to do a certain level of that in order to ensure that Santana and Ortiz were, would get the baby face reaction that they, they that they would. But to me, you know, the MVP of the segment was Santana. The biggest question, though, coming out of this segment, has Jericho slowly moved on to influencer and GFY has been left in the dust? It it hasn't made an appearance in, what, two, three weeks now? So, I yeah, that one didn't really catch on. I, th- I think that one is uh, going to just be... Uh... Retired, and we'll move on to the influencer. Shivani is outside with Trent and Romero, and they are going to take on the Young Bucks, the match that got delayed when Rocky got COVID. So that will happen on Friday night. And the Bucks walk in, and it's all a ploy as Adam Cole jumps Rocky Romero from behind. It leads to a low blow on Trent, and they deliver the BTE trigger on Rocky when all of a sudden Adam Cole motions for someone off camera And there is Jay White, who walks in, takes Trent Beretta, and drills him into the production truck as uh, as Excalibur yells that he has walked through the forbidden uh, production area. Yes. I mean, they were outdoors, so I don't know if there was necessarily a door that was crossed here. But uh, nonetheless, we, we, we got the message loud and clear. Yes, we did. Yeah, this this I think was probably the bigger surprise of the two. Uh, no uh, rumored, at least. I mean, this name was th- thrown out there among like speculation, but you know, it's it's really like continuing like this power struggle. Like this is Cole bringing in somebody else, and later they set up that Kenny Omega and Jay White used to be uh, rivals. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Bullet Club connection with with all of these guys. Um. It's interesting, and it's also stories that I could see playing, making their way to New Japan Strong as well. Of course, I mean it's 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 Rocky Romero, you know, a, a, a part of the segment as well. So maybe maybe some some interplay between the the promotions with something like this. Mm-hmm. And there's like there's a lot of story there. Like whenever Omega comes back, I mean Jay White was pretty much the the replacement when Kenny Omega left. So there is like endless mm-hmm. material there uh, to go to. So that was uh. That was immediately followed by uh, Isaiah Cassidy coming out with the Hardy family office and out comes Keith Lee to his brand new uh, Mikey Ruckus 
produced theme and this crowd, they just go ballistic for him. Huge reaction. And he comes out and man, this guy uh, looked like, I mean, to see this man just feel like free is what this felt like. To see him without a a, a t- top with claws uh, marks on it, I, yeah, I think it didn't was a big difference. It was yeah, yeah. The man not having his uh his top like covered up, it didn't send people uh running that they're seeing his uh, upper body. Uh, the bear cat looks to have uh, also been retired with GFY and uh, and limitless is Keith Lee. Yes, he is. Yeah, um, I. I, I, I was so happy to see this, and I don't think anybody, at least live in attendance, was disappointed by this at all. His his presence immediately, I think, felt really strong, you know, being in, in a completely different environment. And once we got to the match, I mean, I think everybody's prayers were answered. Can you quickly break down uh, what you were sending me today, like the okay. online detective work that all was right. being done? So, uh, so Sino informed me of this, but um, as he informs me of, of, of many things. In the wrestling world, but apparently Mia Yim tried to, um, uh, you know, <laughs> tried to uh, swerve everybody by posting a honeymoon photo of the two of them. And these detectives on the internet, let me just tell you, okay? Dude, the internet's undefeated. Never. If you're going to try, <laughs> if you're going to try to trick the wrestling, hardcore wrestling fan base on the internet, you better make sure you don't shave your head. Uh, in in your prior picture, because somebody out there was able to track the 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 beard length of Keith Lee in this honeymoon photo compared to the the beard thickness of Keith Lee in his wedding pictures, and they were able to determine, hey, this doesn't feel right. This can't be the day after. And then uh, they also were, were able. Somebody else was able to uh, go through Mia Yim's Instagram and was able to find her in a similar outfit from 2020. Um, oh, and, and, and was able to determine that this was not that, in fact, uh, present day on their honeymoon. So, you know, the, an attempt was made, but man, clearly Miriam did not know the type of uh, audience they were dealing with. Well, come on. Yeah, this, is this your first day in this industry with this, this fan base? Um, I don't know if the hair is at the exact uh, amount that Un- he had on Sunday. Yeah. Amazing! I was just—I had no words when you sent this to me that this is all uh, all uh, broken down in such fine detail. Uh, but he comes out here, dude. I, Isaiah Cassidy was just a ping pong ball for him. He is a great is, ping pong ball, oh, dude. I, Isaiah Cassidy was great here. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's got to focus on Keith Lee, but man, does he owe uh, Isaiah Cassidy a, a debt of gratitude? Here. He owes him a bottle of of whatever he wants. Yes, yes. Like Randy Orton said, you should be buying him a steak dinner. That's what he was. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. when someone's bumping around for you like this. So uh, he just launches him, dude, into like another area code in the air. And then he comes down, running cross body. He stares down Mark Quinn. And then there's a shoulder block that sends Cassidy out of the ring. Matt Hardy just walks away. He just leaves through the crowd. He's, he's giving up here. He's selling his stock on private party. So, so Excalibur was telling us throughout the commercial, Hardy had said that he, he, if, if, if uh, Cassidy didn't win this, he would have to... He would be leaving them. Actually, I think he did this on, was it on Rampage or, or or one of the shows last week in the hallway? It was something to the effect of like, if you don't win this, I have to reconsider our relationship. Something something to that effect. So it seems like this, they're teasing a breakup between the two. So Keith Lee, uh, his leg gets uh, pulled by Quinn. And then it sets up Cassidy coming off the rope for a cutter. 
And this just looked like like Keith Lee was like swatting him down. But then he sold the cutter. This seemed like the only part where it was somewhat off. Mm-hmm. I think he was supposed to actually hit the cutter. I mean, I Keith think Lee so too. Was supposed and to it, get off the apron. So. Yeah, because instead Cassidy just crashed down back first from from mm-hmm. the uh, the it momentum of it. Yeah. So nonetheless, um, he then swats away this spinning roundhouse kick and. Oh, sorry. First, they go to the floor because Lee ends up on the floor and Cassidy hits this crazy tornillo dive to the floor and they get Lee off of his feet. But then back into the ring, he swats the roundhouse kick and hits the Big Bang Catastrophe in 429. So, man, with that new lead in on TBS, they've signed the perfect guy. (laughs) They did. They should start with this move uh, every Dynamite, you know, just coming off of that show. Yeah. Um, th- this was great. And then, dude, the post-match. This was incredible. So private party attack. And Mark Quinn goes for a tope con hero and is caught. He is caught by Lee. And Lee is, like, not taking a step back. He firmly caught this guy and power bombs him on top of Cassidy on the floor and ends Mark Quinn with an apron bomb. So uh, tremendous debut here for Keith Lee, who felt like uh, a solid main event star. And you watch this and it's like, I, ha- my head goes to a Paul Levesque that it's like, mm-hmm. it's not like, it's one thing when you are in WWE and it's maybe you have your preconceived notions that these people, this person's not going to be a star. We just don't see it here. And you're proven wrong. It's like Paul Levesque helped assemble a team. He saw these people as stars mm-hmm. and he helped build them as stars. And not only did you see them completely just destroyed on the main roster, but now you're going to see your competitor take them and reap all of the benefits that you saw in these people uh, that you had this belief in. And now it's going to be elsewhere that they prove this company wrong. Yeah. On the one hand, it could be upsetting, but on the other hand, I could see him and people like Shawn Michaels watching the show and being incredibly happy for the performers actually getting their due finally. You know, they could be AEW Dynamite's biggest fans. Sean and Hunter could be watching this every Wednesday night. You know, <laughs> like, I feel like it's the type of wrestling that both of them would absolutely love. There's the alternate commentary. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Tremendous debut. Um, And again, you know, having them go up against Private Party, I thought was absolutely brilliant. They were wonderful opponents. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of thanks were, were exchanged in the back, you know, because they couldn't have made Keith Lee look better in this debut um he comes in here and immediately feels like a world title contender he could even be champion honestly i, I think he should win that that ladder match unless yeah. you, like we don't know who else is in there but uh you would need a really strong candidate to convince me of keithley not winning that match but are you ready for him to lose a title challenge you know or does he break off into a feud after the ladder match and then we wait a bit to build up to an actual title contention I mean, th- there could also be like the TNT championship. Like there's different avenues you can go here or just the, the ladder matches a- for what? It's the face of, of revolution. Is that what, what, what you get? A, you get a title shot. Yeah. World title shot, right? I could think you can either. Oh, okay. Who would choose the TNT title shot? You could, you could just you just ask and you can get a TNT title shot. Well, I, I don't even hate the idea of like you do Lee challenging for the title like down the road. Um, you're putting him in this match, but it's going to be a spectacular match. So it's yeah. it's a great setting uh, for him. So, you know, John, it's it's yet another name being added to, to an AEW roster, which, you know, is I mean, we've been talking about for months now has been kind of bloated. Like, 
how many more people can they take on? Or, or, well, I I, th- I think in this, like Tony Khan has said as much that there are going to be contracts coming up soon that they cannot retain people. Like, I do think we are going to see, you know, people on the way out on top of that where contracts mm. are coming due. And there is a level of performers who were there at the beginning that, you know, the bar is very high now. And yeah. I'm, I don't think that that's should be, you know, a negative thing that it's like there is going to be numbers going out and you're still going to have a very heavy roster, even with contracts coming up. Yeah. Again, you know, this is a promotion called All Elite Wrestling, so it really should be the best of the best that that is getting featured on their TV shows. But we're talking about people like, you know, Miro and Malachi Black now struggling to get airtime on a Rampage or, or a Dynamite. So... I mean, maybe it'll it'll mean dark will be will be really fantastic, like because of all the extra talent. They announced a no DQ match between Thunder Rosa and Mercedes Martinez for next Wednesday when they're in Nashville coming off of the DQ finish last week. And then FTR is out. CM Punk is out. And John Moxley follows as the partner here. Uh, MJF and Spears are watching in the back. Uh, Moxley was out wearing an Akira hoodie, which uh he was alerted to on Twitter that, hey, John Moxley's wearing your hoodie. And he was, uh, he seemed like blown away by, by threw, this, that he, he's wearing threw, my own hoodie. Threw the link up there. Yeah, you can buy it right now. It's a good looking hoodie. There uh, were like very audible GCW chants here for John Moxley when he entered the ring. Mm-hmm. This, New, this New Jersey. New Jersey, absolutely. Hey, this was a shield reunion of sorts. A little bit, yeah. This was, I actually looked it up to see if they ever teamed on any like house shows when they first formed, but this was actually the first time they've ever teamed together. It it felt incredibly special. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And it, one little thing that I liked about this is that like there's no, like if you want to find like a little reason for this, like who was, who was one guy that that first Wednesday when Moxley was gone, when he went to rehab and yep. Punk gave like that speech. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can totally understand why Moxley would choose to like have this guy's back. It was like he went out of his way to really say something nice that night. And he and Renee are, are big are great friends. There you go. Yes. So on, on top of that, you, you have some some reasoning here. It's not a completely random pairing by any stretch. Uh, they worked on Punk's leg for, for a, a bit of time here. Um uh, FTR was it was just great here, just like cutting off the ring, um, and then it was uh, springboard clothesline hit by Punk, and they go through the break where Moxley gets th- sent through the timekeeper's table, uh, beats the count in, and Punk is fighting Dax on the apron, and he's away from the corner as Moxley goes for the tag, and Punk then gets knocked off the apron, so... Uh, FTR continued. They hit the Vegomatic onto Moxley, their uh, their Midnight Express tribute, and then Moxley comes out with this powerful lariat. And dude, the look on Moxley's face when he's like rolling the arm back to make the tag to Punk, it was just like Terry Funk. It was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And he tags in Punk, and he's going wild. The whole place is chanting for Punk. He stops a powerplex, and then Mox lifts Dax onto his shoulders, and the two hit a Doomsday device. Uh, yeah, and, and and Dax takes it on his head, you know, the way I think you're supposed to take a doomsday. It, it was really cool. And I mean, you know, punk Chicago, of course. I don't know if you're supposed to take it on your head, but I guess that's your uh, your, that's way, how, your rite of passage. You make it look like you take it on your head, you know? That's what made that move so devastating. So then Cash is on the floor and he grabs the ring bell and Punk gets sent into the rope, blasted with the bell into a brain buster and Punk kicks out. So that was... Uh, 
Mm-hmm. That was pretty excessive to, to do the kick out from the bell and the brain buster. Uh, I mean, but the it's match punk, continues. It's punk, though. You know, he, he's, he's gone undefeated this whole time. You, you need something to build to a false finish. I thought it was effective. The GTS then gets countered into a big rig and Mox is back for the save. Cash then stops a GTS and shoves Punk into Moxley, who's going for the paradigm shift at the same time. Then Moxley stops a spike pile driver and Punk reverses a crossbody, gets into the Anaconda vice and the tap is happening, but the referee is distracted. So Tully gets in with his jacket and is hitting Punk and Punk gets up and dude, we have seen this guy lift Brock Lesnar for a GTS. We have seen him lift some giant men, but I've never seen him struggle so much to get a guy up as he did here with Tully. They just their timing was just off here, and it took him like two tries to get Tully up there. And Tully took the GTS. I mean, it, I, I think it's as much about you know Tully's uh, leaping ability at, at his age um, than than the actual weight. Of Maybe the Tully man. had second thoughts. He's like, "Fuck this." <laughs> I, I I certainly didn't picture seeing CM Punk deliver a. GTS to Tully Blanchard a year ago. So, the so combinations. From that GTS, Cash comes from behind, rolls up Punk, hooking the tights, but there's a kick out again, and then Cash and uh, Cash and Dax get hit with simultaneous GTS and a paradigm shift at the same time, and Punk gets the pin. 18 minutes and 48 seconds. They fist bump after. This was a great, great, great tag match. 18 minutes. I can't yeah. believe that. Like this, this thing was great. And it was like consistently um, just, just fun to watch, you know, because again, you have a very spectacular pairing uh, the first time ever between two of the biggest stars in the company itself going up against, in my opinion, the best tag team in the industry right now in FTR. FTR was, was just awesome here. Uh, just really kind of leading the entire thing, they, knowing exactly what to do as heels against, you know, the two biggest baby faces. This kind of felt like, you know, it felt like it was your Hogan and Savage, you know, 1A and 1B teaming together. At Boardwalk and, Hall. Oh, the Mega they, Powers exploded. There you go. Exactly. There you go. That's the tribute. Um, but, you know, it was it, it, 18 minutes. I was honestly surprised to hear you say that because this this felt like the perfect length of a match to me, John, like this felt like a pay-per-view level type of match and it, it never got boring. Some really great spots with the doomsday device, you know, Mox was put through a table, the various synchronized finishers that they attempted with the GTS mm-hmm. and the paradigm shift and also the an- Anaconda vice and the rear naked choke. Um, I love a super well thought out match like this. Oh um, yeah. I, I was very impressed with, with punk again this week. I think punk is just like in the zone at the moment. He is. Yeah. And his opponents are tremendous, you know, the caliber, but punk is absolutely more than, uh, you know, holding up his, his end of the bargain here. Um, it, it, this was a really good way to, to rehab him after the MJF lost, you know, he still feels as hot as ever. And now he actually has a grudge and a reason to fire back up. And, and, and now the audience wanting to see him get revenge. I love that. He's building up a little circle of friends here. You know, between Darby baby, and Sting Baby and faces Elmoff. that have friends. What a concept. Uh, we're, we're all talking about all loners, right? Like, that's, this is these are sort of like the, the, the cool kids in school who, like, you know, never really talk to anybody. But somehow they find solace in each other, in Punk and Darby and I suppose Sting, you know. The original guy, like, hanging out in the corner, uh, up in the rafters of the gymnasium, I suppose. And then you have uh, Mox, who d- does have that prior relationship with, with Darby Allen, right? So it all comes together. And you know what? Um... It would make for a hell of a blood and guts match. You know, the four of these two, maybe with somebody else versus the pinnacle if this feud goes that long. Yeah, I was I was very curious if they were going to have uh, any like Danielson somehow like 
it, some kind of moment here, and it's just like a fleeting second of like Danielson and Punk in the in the same segment with Danielson's mm. link to Moxley. At the we'll moment. get there. Yeah, we'll get mm. there. There's plenty of time. So then we go to uh, the TBS title match, which was announced about an hour before the show with Jade Cargill defending against AQA, who was the former Zeta Ramir in NXT, who had like five matches in NXT and then was uh, part of uh, part of one of the many series of cuts last year. So she gets a promo. She noting she was trained by Booker T and to be the best, you need to beat the best. Uh, good promo here from her. Mm-hmm. And it starts off where uh, Jade drops her, but then uh, AQA comes back with a deep arm drag and then a pop up into a drop kick. And then they go to picture in picture. Uh, Jade is dominating through the break and hits this, uh, there's a spinning DDT that AQA lands, and she climbs up to the top and hits her moon, her shooting star press. And the crowd had been a little down for this, but then woke up for the shooting star press. She then climbed up again and kind of lost her balance on the turnbuckle, and it looked like they just had to improvise here. Jade just catches a crossbody, spins her into a slam, and hits Jaded. And they have Cargill go over in 7 minutes and 43 seconds. Yeah, um, this was a match that I don't think should have gone as long as it did. Um, to me, it felt like once they went to commercial and then came back, the crowd was definitely less hot than they were going into it. So it tells me maybe it was a length that killed them. Plus, the star power really was not there in the matchup. I thought AQA sounded really good, though, in, in the promo. So I I can definitely see them bringing her back. You know, they they, they liked her enough to have her at, give give her a speaking role on, on Dynamite. So, um, you know, like... I don't see an immediate um, return for for her on Dynamite, but um, on Dark, seeing her develop, I think will be a lot of fun. Jade is certainly getting better, but I, I think matches at this length um, in the in the body of the the standard of an AEW Dynamite. I mean, sandwiched between God, like the Punk Mox match, and then that that main event that we're going to talk about. It unfortunately, I think, exposed her uh, and her experience and the lack of variety in her offense. But you know these are the challenge that, challenges that she's going to have to live up to with the spotlight as champion. Yeah, it, it almost seemed like it was. You know, we we've seen her go in longer matches on on TV, and th- those are the consistent problems that that come out with this. In this one, it's almost like, well, we'll give her like eight minutes. Part of it's the commercial that's like people are less less tuned in and maybe less like hypercritical of it. But it's. Yeah, it was a tough position on on the show for this uh, at the same time. And you have kind of conditioned people that I think they want to see Jade just have these two-minute destructions. Needs the, she needs the Wardlow push. Like it, You need something that, that's spectacular, and this was not, not anything like that. The Bucks and Cole are with the, uh, the Cutler cam, and they note it's time to climb back up the rankings and go back for our belts. And Cole says that this Friday on Rampage, Jay White will be your backup. And the Bucks say that, you know, you should have texted us about Jay White because him and Kenny used to really hate each other. And Cole just says to trust him. And Cole has his own statement he needs to make later tonight. And the Bucks ask Cutler if he heard anything about Jay White. And he says he might have read something about it on Twitter, on Reddit. Mm. Yeah, the the whole Jay White thing is really interesting. And, and Tony Khan actually just tweeted out uh, as we're recording this. He says, I didn't secure Jay White until Sunday. I realized after the fact that Friday night, I butchered my own definition of Forbidden Door in hyping tonight. I heard the fans' feedback and wanted to ensure that tonight was a special dynamite for all. Thank you, everybody who watched. So he admits that he got his own definition of Forbidden Door wrong, 
realizing that Keith Lee wasn't necessarily passing through any forbidden doors. And so he decided as a make good to make sure people wouldn't be disappointed, got Jay White on Sunday just to appear for something like this. I could guess that probably there is no other promoter that would go to that extent over <laughs> the wording of his tweet. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, don't play with we. Can we all just shut, like shut the door on the forbidden door? Like, come on, this is only going to get everybody in trouble. This this term, but it's it, the Jay White thing is interesting. I mean, because he White has been cutting promos on you know Adam Cole on his own, and if if the deal didn't really come through on uh, until Sunday, well, what exactly was going through White's mind? What was his intention by saying this, oh, this was oh. not introduced as this was just some like quick idea and we're just doing it for some short-term thing like there was a like some story here introduced with, with jay white so hmm. um like, like it certainly didn't feel like something that it's just some little band-aid because we had to uh f- fill in a hole here it's, a, so. it's certainly a good attraction yeah and you have this relationship with new japan so it's like you have this this option so mm-hmm. we, we can we can run with it so that means they can grab anybody from new japan I'm l- listen when uh when they do that show cuz Ishii is coming here for WrestleMania weekend and then the Windy City Riot is not till uh 2 weeks later like I I would think like that's you you have he's going to be here for several weeks in in the US like you would think you would want to bring Ishii back or what, what about uh, Will Ospreay um I th- I think you have to do it when it's right though it's like it is now the right time to bring a Will Ospreay in and what would your idea be for him like I would want to do that when Kenny. you can. I mean, they're, they're building that up on their own, but well, yeah, then you should like, be you should be pulling the trigger on that when it's when it's time to do that. And mm-hmm. I would I would say I would save that for uh, when the timing is right um, down mm-hmm. the road. Uh, before the main event, we had Serena Deeb out for her, five, her the professor's five minute rookie challenge. So a random rookie is going to be given the opportunity to last five minutes with her, and the candidate this week was Katie Arquette who they noted was on dark six months ago. She was hit with a neck breaker and tapped out the serenity lock in uh, 62 seconds. 62 seconds. Yeah. Uh, I, I love it. It's an old school gimmick. I think it's a great way to set up a future new babyface debut. Um, short. So you certainly don't run the risk of, you know, tiring any, anybody out. It, it, and it's something that is uh, special that you attach to Serena Deeb, who I think, I think does feel like to me the hot um actually Baker's still probably the hottest heel right now, but I mean I think I think Deeb is, is right up there and probably a future contender for uh the TNT championship or sorry, the TBS or or world championship. And this is also a great way to introduce someone. Exactly. Yeah. Like a uh yeah, it, it, could, it could be anyone. I uh, when I saw this this idea and just the, the the concept of it and Serena's style, I thought this would be a really interesting way to introduce Marina Shafir, who I know has Ooh, done dark, but yeah. has not been put on Rampage or Dynamite yet. Would she get the the reaction you think from from this audience, like as a big surprise, or did they need like a former WWE? I don't think it'd be a giant like surprise pop, but it'd be like someone finally going like the five minutes with with Serena Deeb and and getting that kind of introduction mm. as you know do this for for several weeks and build it up for a while and then when you have the right person that goes to five minutes with her. I like it. All right. So here's our lineup for Friday's rampage, which is being taped as we speak, the young bucks against Rapongi vice hook versus the mysterious Blake Lee, Britt Baker against Robin renegade, 
Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus against the Gun Club for the tag titles, and Brian Danielson will speak. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we got promos from uh, both tag teams and uh, Billy Gunn adding, let's go old school. If you're not down with that, we've got two words for you. New champs. I thought it'd be ass boys. Uh, and then Dynamite next week, uh, we just have the two matches, Hager and Jericho against Santana and Ortiz, and the no DQ match with Thunder Rosa and Mercedes Martinez. Is, is Danhausen still injured? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, like, outside of, you know, the little um, walkout with, with Orange Cassidy, we haven't had a bit more with him on, on the, in the body of, of, of either rampage or dynamite, like whether it be a speaking segment or, or some, yeah. some sort of storyline, because I think there was a lot of buzz coming off of the signing. Like I, a, I agree. I, and you don't have to wait for him to be healthy, to have like a role on this, on, on the show, given his character for sure. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Hangman page, Lance Archer, Texas death match for the AEW championship. Uh, it starts in the back and they make their way onto the stage where Archer gets thrown through a gimmick pane of glass on the stage and is busted from the forehead and gets brought to the ring. And Paige hits the buckshot lariat almost immediately. And Archer rolls to the floor and the count to 10 begins. And then Dan Lambert appears as so, Archer. So, so it's last man standing rules. Yes. Yes. So you've got to be down for, for the count of 10. So Dan Lambert appears. Archer is destroying Paige with a a trash can lid. And Lambert unscrews the turnbuckle and takes the top rope off as they explain this eliminates the buckshot lariat. Boy, was this brilliant. I I love it. This was was very smart. It it was even better with the finish. Completely. I mean, I imagine like some promotion out there throughout wrestling history has done this in the past for any sort of like match against a babyface high flyer who relies on the ropes. Take the rope away. They can't do their moves. I think that's brilliant. Um, and I, I, I absolutely loved loved it. And, and like you said, when we get to the finish, oh boy. So they they brawl into the crowd. Paige hits a moonsault. They go through the break. Archer is setting up two tables on the floor, which would be the big part of the finish. And he teases a blackout off the apron. That gets stopped. And at this point, like, Archer is bleeding a significant amount. Hangman was that much more. He was completely covered in blood. I mean, the Toronto Star is getting a quote ASAP. I mean, this was, I think, the definition of blood and guts and gory self-mutilation all in one here. You know, every WWE buzz. They should have done this this. before the earnings call last week. That's they missed their timing. Yeah, yeah. This was a lot of blood. It it was a lot uh, of blood. Uh, There's a dead eye and choke slam that are blocked. And then Jake, who is also ringside, ends up hitting a short arm clothesline on Hangman. And this place goes nuts. Which, again, another tie-in to this venue with, with WrestleMania 4 and 5. You know, Jake mm. was very prominent uh, at that, uh, both of those shows. Mm. And then he goes for the DDT, and Archer stops Jake, and the crowd is so upset. And this was like our first tease of, like, uh, of like tension here between Jake and Archer, as this crowd really wanted to see this DDT. And then Paige ended up hitting his own DDT onto Archer. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, you know, um, you've heard our complaints about Jake Roberts being a part of this, especially with Dan Lambert attached to to Lance Archer. I mean, Jake's role kind of seems unnecessary. So I, I am curious to know if they're actually teasing a breakup and if Jake's going to go babyface. And and is Jake actually a more interesting and a more suitable babyface? Because this crowd certainly felt that way. 
you know, that short arm clothesline looked pretty damn good. And I'm sure DDT would, would that, I don't know. Have we seen him do a DDT yet so far? We've seen him do the, 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 the short arm clothesline. I DDT don't think he might, got- might be a bit more, bit more physical than, than they're allowing him. But, um, still like, I wonder, I wonder how Jake would be as a baby face. I don't know. I wonder as a m- mouthpiece. I mean, the crowd starts chanting that they want fire. And that's kind of where you raise the expectation level, I think, for for this fan base when it comes to a violent match. Uh, But there's kendo stick shots until Archer breaks it over his knee and chokeslams Paige on a trash can uh, and then stabs Hangman repeatedly with a fork. Archer then and then he licked the fork, dude, like that. That was a bit much like really like that. That was too much, especially for broadcast like ugh, that that was disgusting. Well, it's listen, if if you get compl- it's almost like they, they they are courting that kind of reaction. Like they are they are hardly holding up on any of this. Like if there is any negativity towards how violent some of their matches are, um this to me is I, a clear I draw indication. the line at like eating blood, you know? Eating do we blood saw off of a fork. do we we're seeing fire, we're seeing like uh, glass broke it like they have gone so far beyond what i anticipated when tony khan in one of his first scrums explained how like a lights out match you're never going to see that level of violence on tv that's for pay-per-view and that's completely gone out the window where yeah like they clearly like they are and listen this would not be happening if the network had any issue with it like they Mm -hmm. clearly don't have a problem with how how violent this is so Stabs him with the fork, then gets a barbed wire chair out from underneath, and it leads to them on the apron, and Archer lifts him up for the blackout, and I'm just thinking, okay, Paige is going to slip back here. Paige takes the blackout onto the steel steps. This looks so brutal. I don't, I I can't imagine the margin of error, okay, that would have resulted in complete disaster for Hangman Paige here. Like, Oh, dude, this is oh, going to suck to wake up tomorrow and feel like he came down like on the edge of it, too. Like it just it just looked terrible. It looked terrible to take this. I'm I'm almost shocked that they like actually decided to go with the spot. I mean, the AEW ladders are different from the WWE ones in that there's like a wider surface on the side and somehow it, <laughs> they can do spots like this. But like, I, I mean, Archer and Hangman, I would say fully committed to it. You know, there there's no hesitation. I'm going to throw you. Onto these steps, like 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 this is a video game, and they and God they did it. It was very scary to watch. Page gets back to his feet, and he wraps the barbed wire around his arm to attack Archer, and then with Archer on the edge, Page takes off the barbed wire and throws it down to the mat, and Paul Turner leans over to grab the barbed wire, creating a base for Hangman to flip over to hit the buckshot, sending him and Archer crashing off the apron through the table that had been set up ages ago. And that is our finish where Archer stays down for the count of 10 at 15 minutes and 27 seconds. I thought this finish was goddamn brilliant. And Mm -hmm. the way that they did this with the rope, that was to, to just think of this, of using the referee as your base for the move in place of the top rope uh, was just, I, I was just very, very impressed with it. You know, who whoever helped come up with the spot, if they're, if, man, if there's a writing staff, you know, that that came up with, the, that put their minds together to, to create this, everybody deserves their roses. Uh, what incredible creativity that makes me, that makes all of us, I think, absolutely fall in love with this art form. 
like this this to me is is really professional wrestling at its best when you can imply logic to a superhuman athletic feat that ends with a spectacular table crash and ends the story in such a brilliant memorable way uh it was wonderful incredibly well thought out i mean even from the point of the barbar being on the on the chair and archer going for the power bomb and 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 Paige surprising us by grabbing the 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 barbed wire midway. It reminded me of the uh, Taker Triple H sledgehammer spot from WrestleMania 17, uh, when when Taker went for the last ride. And then everything with Paul Turner, like completely for all the people that like you know might have complaints about modern professional wrestling being devoid of psychology. There was plenty of psychology in this, and it was spectacular. So Paige really needed a match like this. I think he needed a match to get people talking about his title run because. I mean, it feels somewhat intermittent, you know, he has, he had big ones, but this was one where I think he needed to show that he wasn't just going to be a B side to the, you know, the higher star power of a guy like a Kenny Omega or, or Brian Danielson in his title defenses. And he was absolutely the talk uh, coming out of this, you know, in hindsight, I think the style of match, a lunatic like Lance Archer, who is so incredibly valuable for guys like Paige turned out to be the the perfect setting and the perfect opponent. Yeah, I, I, I thought the match delivered in a big way. It was, you know, the the level of violence you kind of have to do for these Texas death matches to keep these matches um, of that level and the, the the high level of expectation that your your fan base has. Um, and for Archer, too, like, let's remember, like, he... He avoided like the way he was talking about like the margin for error of how bad that moonsault could have been for him. It was pretty mm. scary, and this was his first significant match uh, since since October when when he got injured. Um, and then the show ends with Adam Cole walking out, uh, but he doesn't attack Paige. Instead, he just takes the belt and puts it on his shoulder and leaves, and just indicating that's what he is after. And that would seem to be the match for Revolution. We've got. We've only got three more dynamites before the pay-per-view. So wow. it's it's coming up pretty soon and this looks to be the the direction that they are headed. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I mean Cole Cole's a uh, you know relatively big name going for the title. I think it, it would be worthy. I don't know if that's a match that's worthy of head like being the headline match especially, you know, on a show that has a John Moxley and a CM Punk and a a Brian Danielson uh, attached to it. I mean, if it's Moxley Danielson, I I I can see that, you know, being being the top match. Um, what what else do you see at this point, you know, with only three weeks away? What do you see for MJF and Punk? I think that's the match at the pay-per-view. Yeah. And and if that's the case, I think both those matches will dwarf, you know, the star power of as as much as I think we we will, we're going to enjoy Cole versus Page in terms of star power, it'll be hard for 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 this match to compete with the others, but um, the, the challenge is on for a champion like Hangman Page, you know, somebody who comes in and, and is a champion strictly off of his AEW notoriety. Um, he's going to have to kind of fight, you know, to be at the top of the card despite holding that belt, and, but really be, be in the minds uh, of everybody's th- conversation coming off of these shows every single time. All right. Well, there we go. That is the a very very strong edition uh, of Dynamite. I mm-hmm. mean, if you, if you tuned in for the surprises, um. I I, th- I think that was pretty pretty satisfying. Like I thought the Keith Lee introduction was, was tremendous for for what mm-hmm. it was. You got two really excellent matches that I would recommend, and as well as like 
you know, for talking segments, like your your interest in like talking segments might vary, but you got I would say two of them, but between the opener with MJF and Punk, and then the the inner circle segment, I thought was strong stuff. Uh, on top of that, so mm-hmm. I mean, y- you had some, you know, y- you had a dip with the with the TBS title match, but I would say for a two hour show, this was a pretty strong episode of Dynamite. Yeah, I thought it was very strong. I mean, thoroughly entertaining, maybe except for portions of the Jade Cargill match. But in terms of storyline build, in terms of quality of in ring action, in terms of uh, quality of promo, uh, absolutely, I think uh, very excellent. All right, we will go to forum.postwrestling.com where you can always post your feedback after Raw, Dynamite, SmackDown, and Rampage. And we will start off with Matthew. He writes, welcome Keith Lee and Jay White to AEW where everyone gets their offense in. I guess they couldn't have four squash matches on one show, but did a really but did we really need the undefeated champion, the new signee, and the guy in the Batista role all have matches that were longer when they needed to be against opponents that they should defeat quickly? Um, I just I wouldn't. Totally yeah, I would not group all of those together. I would say the Wardlow Blade thing, I, I think that worked fine. That crowd was super hot by the time they got to the power bombs. Um you could Jade and AQA, you could you could argue that needed to be uh, shorter for what it was, but I saw that more because of Jade than than for AQA. Um and Lee and Cassidy, I I would not have wanted that to be 30 seconds. I thought that to me was pretty pretty flawless. I certainly think there are times where you want to have, you know, the, the Goldberg type of squash match. But I think there are other times where you want guys to be able to showcase their abilities. And that certainly, I think, is the case for Keith Lee, somebody who I think felt very handicapped throughout his WWE run. And, you know, his first surprise appearance in AEW, you want to wow the audience by showing them what this guy can actually do. So you needed that match to be able to display his full abilities. I mean... Keith and Cassidy, it was it was four and a half minutes. Really? Wow. Okay. Well, they it was, so it was not like there. they went this like crazy amount of time. I yeah. mean, like you also like don't want like I think that's it's it's tough with Jade because I think that's what people want is the quick one two minute squash. But for longevity, like you, you don't want to be stuck in that in I, that routine. I, I would only say though that I think you get your reps in on rampage you know you get your reps in maybe on dark if you're doing some some on dark but i think there's a certain a certain higher standard when you're sandwiched between the quality that you typically get on dynamite that i i would rather maybe stick to i think what we know she's you know uh uh, completely uh comfortable with rather than something that that might be a bit out but you know and also like what is he talking like page page should be squashing lance archer i mean i that's not the appeal of the underdog the underdog works hard to beat to defeat a monster like lance archer that's why we want to cheer for him so i mean it, this was certainly the, the hardest fought victory i think well maybe the brian one but this was certainly up there for page we got a brian from new jersey live in boardwalk hall tonight who says another incredible live experience from aew and we still have rampage to look forward to Surprised that they didn't start the show with a big surprise, which didn't come until nearly an hour later. But MJF's entrance cracked me up. AEW's live promos have been a lot more hit than miss to me. Keith Lee's arrival had me smiling ear to ear. Jay White's appearance was a cool surprise. Punk and Moxley versus FTR was my match of the night. And the main event was a big old spectacle. The Dark Elevation matches included appearance, appearances by Thunder Rosa, Ruby Soho, Dante Martin, and a 10-man tag pitting the Dark Order versus Daniel Garcia, 2.0, and the Acclaim. 
All right, we go to uh, Adam, who writes that uh, Moxley teaming with CM Punk not only pisses off the pinnacle, but also his friend, Eddie Kingston, who doesn't like Punk, and Danielson, who wanted to be the veteran that John teams up with. Moxley has more possible opponents coming up than Dolph Ziggler does on the road to WrestleMania. Yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff that you can go to from there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Kingston really makes sense to get involved in this because he's got the whole Santana and Ortiz thing going on. I think on. in the future, though, I think, I think Adam I, makes a great point. You know, once... Yeah. Once totally. the Santana and Ortiz thing is done, you you can revisit now, you know, Mox with his old friend taking on his new friend. Yep. Yeah, interesting. Billy says, one of the best dynamites yet. Wardlow stole the show in his first segment with amazing facials. Andrade couldn't call him Mr. Stink to his face. King Switch showed up. Keith Lee showed out. And that was just hour one. The tag match was a classic and a huge fan. And as a huge fan of Archer, that was probably his best AEW match so far. One thing that felt clunky was the inner circle segment, but Ortiz and Santana saved it at the end. Nine out of 10 show. Johnny writes in after the main event. All I could think about was that ring crews in all companies deserve to get more props because I'd reckon they had a heck of a time cleaning that up and getting ready for rampage. Keith Lee is a very welcome addition to AEW's roster. It's stacked with fast and agile talent, but Keith Lee's in-ring style is totally unique. Can't wait to see where they go with him. FTR versus Mox and Punk was a great match. The whole premise of it is a crazy thing to wrap my head around. Uh, The former Dean Ambrose teaming with CM Punk, who is in his first year of wrestling after a seven-plus year hiatus against FTR on TBS, the former home of WCW. Life Life is fascinating. Yeah. The way things work out. We got a Kate from Montreal who says, I was honestly shocked when the show opened with two talking segments, but seeing the whole picture, the build and pacing to the show was excellent. I do hope that they have a red cross truck on hand for hangman's title defenses, because he just seems to gush the red stuff by the pint in every match. There must've been a million. How do you screw up Keith Lee tweets? I saw but honestly, how do you screw up Keith Lee? The man has an aura like no other and only needs to walk down the ramp to feel like a rock star. Jay White has teased wanting to fight Adam Cole on New Japan Pro Wrestling, so I'll be curious to see how long he sticks around and how strong their alliance really is. Okay, and Brandon from New Jersey. Uh, Guys, by the time you read this rampage, we will be over and I can finally return to my lair. But before that, I just want to speak about the show tonight. It was phenomenal. I thought it was going to be... He was present live. Yes, I thought it was going to be a good show, but not like this. This show was nuts from the tag match with Punk and Moxley to the opening segment to the Texas death match. It absolutely over delivered the energy in the crowd live for the main event was apocalyptic. Oh, I forgot Keith Lee and Jay White. They have to come back. Also, Jade hitting the tour of the islands was sick. Thank you for listening and feeling my struggle while I type these words for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Thank you, Brandon. Oh yeah! Wow, that's that was a, good feedback from him. It's actually a, a coherent and um, actually a good live report from Brandon. Thank you. Finally, finally, we got a muggin who says a newsworthy out- outing with a hell of a one-two with Keith Lee and the Switchblade appearing. Hangman Page worked the Texas Death Match with a chip on his shoulder, and he wasn't going to get overshadowed. A thrilling main event, I want to add. The MJF celebration was obnoxiously amusing. Wardlow's annoyance was palpable and increasingly more apparent, and I got to see Blanchard get the GTS and the inner circles come to Jesus meeting was gripping. Yes. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for your feedback, those that attended live and those that watched the show on Wednesday evening. So that will bring an end to Rewind a Dynamite. So much more chipper way on a Wednesday. 
Oh my God. Yeah. So much more positivity. What am I going to do with all, all this positive energy? Well, you know? it'll, uh, it'll subside. Give it some time. Uh, but hopefully not by Thursday because we are back live at 1 Eastern where we will be uh, going live with the post daily news update. You can tune in live. The post wrestling YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you go, we are going to be there at 1 Eastern to chat all the news. One Easter time. Also tomorrow, we have our friends, the British Wrestling Experience, coming out with their latest episode. So subscribe to their feed. They're going to announce their first surprise guest for their live podcast. Yes, yes. That is coming up on April the 3rd. So you can uh, find out all, all that information on their uh, their respective uh, social media handles. And, and maybe sure an they- interview. Oh, maybe an interview. Look at that. Well, I will be tuning in. The British Wrestling Experience drops on Thursday. And then... Uh, we will also be back Friday night with Rewind to SmackDown live at 11.15 Eastern for reviews of SmackDown, Rampage, and taking your phone calls. Uh, we've got UFC coming up this weekend as well, WrestleNomics. All of that can be found at postwrestling.com. Subscribe. Leave us some feedback. Leave us a five-star review, folks. You yes. Could, you, could be, you could be so kind. Subscribe to the channel. Like the video. Yeah. Um, it would be nice to get uh, so, some updated feedback that's not a, uh, oh, the, these woke boys, these, this, this show so uh, social justice warrior heavy. Are we getting the that big thing? Still, I guess, that... I guess we've gained a rep. Yeah. Okay, great. Awesome. Um, yeah. uh, great. Awesome. Whatever. Like, just, just give us the attention either way. You know, we crave it. We need it. All right, that's it for us, everyone. Thank you for tuning in, whether it be live, whether it be after the fact, even for those, even for you Saturday listeners. Go to hell, all of you. (laughs) Yeah, he said it, not me. Good night.